One of, our, uh, one of the regrettable things in our personal devotion uh, with the Lord when we spend time reading His Word, we tend to neglect the minor prophets. Uh, and sometimes it's because it's, uh, it's, it happened a long time ago and it seems sort of foreign to us and we don't always understand the context. Uh, but there's some real nuggets of gold in those minor, minor prophets. And one of them is, of course, found in the book of Haggai. And to give you a little bit of context, what's happened in the Babylonian captivity has occurred. And it occurred because Israel had really stopped worshiping the Lord. They had followed after idols and they stopped doing uh, things like taking care of widows and, and orphans. And they began selfish and became materialistic and that sort of thing. And the, the Lord brought, as he had foretold through his prophets, devastation upon the city of Jerusalem to the point where the Babylonians destroyed the temple. Well, then King Cyrus uh, came in from Persia, came in, conquered the Babylonians and set the Israelis free and allowed them to go back, not only go back, but to rebuild. And you see that, of course, in Nehemiah and Ezra, that principle of the, the first pilgrims coming back and, and rebuilding and rebuilding the temple and rebuilding the city wall and that sort of thing. But over time, they kind of lost their zeal for rebuilding the temple. Because they were real zealous about rebuilding their own homes. And the prophet Pagiai noticed this. And while the temple where they were supposed to worship, the one authorized place for a Jew to worship and have sacrifices, and where you had all the, uh, the Old Testament temple priests and all their garb and that sort of thing, uh, it was still a construction site. While the people in the city were building what uh, Haggai says, their paneled houses. I guess a modern equivalent would, would be they're, they're installing their hot tub. And from the window outside of their hot tub, they could look over and see the temple in the midst of construction and no one working on it, but they had lost interest in that. They had, were again becoming materialistic. So the prophet Haggai stands up and he, and he proclaims these words from the Lord. Consider your ways. You are enjoying the comfort of your paneled houses while the temple of God remains unbuilt. Well, the Apostle Paul wasn't rebuilding the temple. He was building the church of Jesus Christ. And we are closing up now in the next couple of Sundays, this uh, second letter to the Corinthians, his most troubled church. And as you know, many people have gone in, false teachers have gone into the Corinthian church and dissuaded them from following to, or listening to the Apostle Paul. He just didn't seem to have their, their finesse and their good looks and their, uh, their articulate speech and that sort of thing. He had suffered a lot. Evidently, God is punishing the Apostle Paul. So they continued to try to bring uh, discredibility to his ministry. And the Apostle Paul is done with that. Because if you dismiss the Apostle Paul, you will dismiss his words, which means you will dismiss the word of God. So you will dismiss the gospel of Jesus Christ. So while the Apostle Paul doesn't say, consider your ways, he does say this to the Corinthians, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. So he has a zeal and an ambition to see them to repent, but he also has a pastor's heart. Paul told the Colossians, we proclaim him admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to the power which works mightily within me. 
In our text today, in just a couple of verses that we're going to look at today, we're going to look at this challenge that Paul gives to test yourself to see if you're in the faith. And we'll be able to also answer the question, am I really a real Christian? Do I need to test myself to see if I am in the faith? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do turn to you in faith and pray, God, that you would help us to make an honest assessment of where we are in our relationship with you. People think it's shocking sometimes that we would say something like that in the church of Jesus Christ, but the church uh, is a mixed multitude, just like Israel was a mixed multitude. So God, we want to be honest. What a shame it would be for someone to come to church, to hear the gospel, to hear this preaching, and not come to a saving faith. So I pray, God, that you would help us to soberly, but also with joy, ask that question of ourselves, am I Christian? But not only that, to learn to help others to, un to know what does it look like to be a real, genuine Christian. Well, there was much confusion on that subject. So bless us now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Again, please turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. We're looking at verses 5 through 6 here. And uh, as mentioned before, Paul is sort of, he's, he's running to the end of his letter. He may literally be running out of paper. Uh, so he's throwing down some basically some bullet thoughts as he goes along. So that's why the last few ser uh, sermons have been just a few verses here. And today we get to this uh, verse 5 and 6, and I'll read that in its entirety. Uh, God says, Paul writes, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail the test. But I trust that you will realize that we ourselves do not fail the test. So we're going to look really at two parts here is the question is, are the Christ Corinthians Christian in verse five? Uh, and then is, is, the, is the Apostle Paul a Christian? And you see that in verse six. So uh, looking at that. And as we look at that, we're going to look at some test questions you will find in your home helps. Usually we ask questions that they could use in home groups and you can use around the table at your home to kind of get more out of the sermon. This time it's more of a handout that you can stick in the back of your Bible with these six questions in there about what does it mean to be a Christian that might be of assistance to you as you're kind of looking, uh, looking to help other people kind of be able to, to answer that question. So first of all, we see here, uh, are the Corinthians questions? And that's what he's asking here. And he says, test yourself to see if you're the faith. Examine your yourselves. Of course, he's using the word test and examine as synonyms, uh, synonyms there. Basically, he's, he's telling them that they need to determine the genuineness of their faith. And part of the reason why is they have not exactly demonstrated stellar Christianity in the Corinthian church. They have been a mess in many, many ways, and they're still struggling with their loyalty towards the gospel here. So he's putting them to the, he's putting the question to them. He's being very direct here. He's, he's telling them that they need to examine themselves because in a lot of ways they have not been uh, doing the things that they should have been doing. And he's been dealing with that throughout this entire letter. And again, part of it too is he's got these uh, detractors back there that, that they don't like Paul's looks and they don't like his eloquence and he's not like the sophist and he's not as articulate as the Greek philosophers and that kind of thing. So they're calling into question partly it's because they are in it for the money. And they want to, they want, they got to get rid of Paul for them to get the entire attention of the Corinthians. So Paul is putting them to the, to, to the, to the test here. He's telling them they need to examine themselves. And what he's really doing is he's turning the tables on them. Because in all their questioning of Paul, they're really questioning, you know, we're not so really sure this guy's even a, a real Christian. We're not sure this guy's really a, an apostle. 
So Paul has been making a defense and now he says, why don't you do this? Why don't you examine yourself to see if you're really a Christian? And then he says this, or do you, do you not recognize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Paul's rather subjective about this. He doesn't give six questions. I'm going to give you six questions to ask, but he doesn't give you six questions to ask on whether or not you're really a Christian or not. He basically says, test yourself to see if you are in the faith. It's kind of a subjective uh, challenge here. The only thing that he actually puts out there is to see if Jesus Christ is in you. Now, that really is where it all starts. You know, one of the things you read from Holy Scripture is that your, your, your uh, faith does not begin with you saying a sinner's prayer. If you genuinely say a sinner's prayer, it began when Christ filled you, when the Holy Spirit filled you and made you want to say that sinner's prayer. That's invisible to us. Sometimes people sense it, but that's largely invisible to us. And that makes us open to the things of God. Instead of running from God, we run to God. So he goes back to that basic tenet. Is the Holy Spirit in you? And which, by the way, here's another example of, of we, we talked about Arianism and the Nicene Creed earlier. The attack was on the Trinity. Here's a, here's a great Trinity verse. The Spirit of Jesus and the, Spirit of the, and the Holy Spirit are the same. And uh, so, you know, you see a great, uh, a great view here. He's using those terms kind of interchangeably here. But he's basically asking, does the Holy Spirit reside within them? You know, we look at 1 John. For the book of 1 John was written so you can have assurance of salvation. It's kind of written so we can understand this principle. Am I really a Christian? So we're going to quote from 1 John a good bit today. But 1 John 2.20, you have an anointing from the Holy One and you all know. All right. Do you really know if you have that anointing from the Holy One? 1 John 3, 24b. We know by this that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Colossians 1, b Christ in you, the hope of glory. So the big question is Christ in you. Now, if Christ is in you and the Holy Spirit is in you, you are a Christian. Even though sometimes you don't act like it. Even sometimes you don't feel like it. If he is there, he is in you. And then he goes on to say, if indeed you fail the test. He's kind of being ironic here. Uh, I think he plans on the, for them to be honest, to actually really do test themselves. But I think he also has a sense that they're going to pass the test. You know, one of the things I love about Paul, we, we are quick to write people off. Uh, people are a mess and, and they're inconvenient, right? And sometimes we just sort of dismiss people or write them off. Or, 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 or you know, If there was ever a church to write off, it was the Corinthian church. And Paul doesn't write them off. He stays in the fight. And he still has hope that they are genuine Christians. They've just been kind of sidetracked by uh, devotion to Christ because of these false teachers here. But it's important to understand that this, this principle, you know, it's been said that the richest mission field in America is within the churches on Sunday. And part of that is, is the church's fault. We have lowered the bar to what does it mean to be a Christian to so low that just about anybody can claim to be a Christian. And we've made it so easy for non-Christians to come to church and worship that they come without conviction that they just stick around. But this principle that there's a mixed multitude, as there was in Israel, there is still in the church today. There are people here today that are not real Christians. And you may have even fooled the rest of us. You may even be fooling yourself. But this is an important question. You really want to say, yes, I'm a real Christian. Christian. Because if you don't, the alternative is, is terrifying. Matthew uh, 13 says this. 
Jesus presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore again, then the tares became evident also. The slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The slave said to him, Do you want us to go and gather them up? But he said, No, for while you are gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat for, with them. But, uh, but uh, allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them and gather the wheat into my barn. That, it, that applies to the earth. There's wheat and tares on planet earth. But there also, this, notice this is the owner's field. It also applies to the church. There are wheats and tares within uh, the church itself. You don't want to wait until the time of the harvest to figure out whether you're a wheat or a tare. You want to be a wheat. And if you're not a wheat, you need to pray that you become a wheat. That makes sense. <laughs> I'm not sure that made sense. But anyway, it's better to know now if you're a tear than to miss it. So we are to test ourselves to see if we are the faith. And failing the test is devastating. Here's one of the principles. And this, is, is, this won't get people to visit church probably. But it's a basic principle. The more you know, the more you're held accountable for. So there's warnings. You see this particularly in, the, in, the, in uh, the, the epistle to the Hebrews, and I'm going to read a passage. Right? There's a warning to those people who, who know the gospel. They could answer, they could pass a Bible drill. Uh, this is a special warning for those of you who grew up in Christian churches, I mean Christian homes, who always came to church and that kind of thing. That is exactly what you ought to do. You ought to go to church. You ought to learn the gospel and everything. But if you, if you have not changed in your heart because of the information you've given, in a sense, there's more accountability. You are held more responsible for someone who's never heard the gospel because God is a just God. And I'm going to read a passage to you that kind of scares us as we, as we go through uh, this, this principle. Hebrews chapter 6. For in the case of those who've once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come and they have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance since they again crucify to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. For ground that drinks the rain, which often falls on it and brings forth vegetation useful to those for whose sake it is tilled, receive a blessing from God. But if it yields thorns and thistles, it's worthless and close to being cursed and it ends up being burned. But beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you and things that accompany salvation, though we are speaking in this way. Now, again, the author of Hebrews is pretty firm and, and kind of scary sometimes because he was dealing with apostasy. He was dealing with J Jews who were being so persecuted for becoming Christians, they were thinking about going back to Judaism. So he's warning them, if you do that, there's no second chance. Here's the deal. There is no plan B. If you reject plan A, Jesus Christ came to save sinners, there, you can't wait for a plan B. B, it doesn't happen. As the Apostle Peter said in Acts chapter 4, there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. 
So what the, the, uh, the apostle here in, in Hebrews is describing is people who've been part, they've been partakers of the Holy Spirit. Anybody here today is, is receiving benefits of the Holy Spirit uh, in, in this church. They've, they've been participants in this. They've been involved with church. They may have grown up in a Christian family, and yet they've not really come to faith. And when he says it's possible to renew them, he's saying there's just no other option. This is as good as it's going to get. And the more you reject the information you've given, the more scary it becomes. So what we need to be is to be like David in Psalm 39. Search me, O God, and know my heart and try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. It takes humility to become a Christian. It takes humility because you got to realize I can't save myself. It's going to require Jesus Christ to save me. So let me look at these six questions to ask here. And you might uh, want to follow along with me. You've got a bunch. Basically, the rest of my notes are verses, which y'all love, right? It's Bible verse. Let the, let the Bible preach for itself. So you got these six questions. The first one is, do I believe the gospel? There's a certain content of knowledge that defines what the gospel is. You need to understand that. The gospel is good news. What is that good news? Well, the, Paul tells the Corinthians. Uh, he's, given them, he's given them the written test already. You know, it's just like, you know, you're going to have a test at the end of the age, but you already got the answers. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. Now I'll make known to you, brethren, the gospel, which I preached to you, which you also received, which you also stand, by which you are also saved. If you hold fast, notice there's a qualifier there. You're not saved if you don't hold fast. Saved if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance that, uh, what we received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And he's talking about the Old Testament scriptures there. The prophecies of the death of Christ. And that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scripture. That's the gospel. It's not real complicated. You don't have to do all this memory work. You don't have to make all these sacrifices. You don't have to bow down to the moon. You don't have to yoga. Uh, you don't have to be vegan or whatever. You know, I've gone and offended people. But uh, you, it's just you've got you to gotta be filled with the Holy Spirit. You've got to believe that you can't get to heaven yourself. Romans 10, 9. Of course, we, many of, this, of, of us rev, uh, memorized this text back in the old bridge diagram grades. And we're learning how to... Evangelize, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead. Those are tenets of the gospel. You got to believe that. There's a certain content that you have to understand. First John, going back to First John again, on assurance of salvation. First John 2, 23. Whoever denies the son does not have the father. The one who confesses the son has the father also. So you'll see a lot of churches kind of preach and teach and believe this mush God thing. Oh, God, that's out there, okay? Well, if you don't believe in Jesus, you actually don't believe in God. You believe in this kind of God that's out there, this spirit being that's out there, that's mother nature, but in male form, but maybe not so much in male form, that makes you feel good and that loves puppies. I mean, it's just, it, it's amazing what pe how people will define God. They're actually more interested in angels than they are in, in God. But to understand the true God, you've got to understand the true son. That just, that's just not negotiable, folks. It's just not negotiable. 1 John 4, 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him 
and he in God. But let me tell you, it's not enough just to believe this. It's not enough just to believe the gospel. Because you remember who, who also believes the gospel? Demons. The devil. Satan is a, probably the greatest theologian that ever lived. He even saw it all happen. But he hates God and he hates you. And he will never be saved. James says uh, that, that even the demons believe and they shudder. So you can't stop there. We got to kind of set a start there, right? To differentiate true faith from false faith, false religions and that kind of thing. But the truth engages your affection. So the second one here is, is do I love God and uh, am I loyal to him? Romans 8, 28, God causes, causes all things to work together for good. Who gets thou, these things working together for good? To those who love God, to those who are called according to his purposes. Luke 14, 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife, children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my, uh, my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Talk about tough words. Now, we, we, we take that scripture and balance with other scripture, right? Where you are taught to love even your enemies. Well, you're certainly going to love your wife and your children and your mother and your father and that kind of thing. What he's doing is he's using that as a comparison. That the love you have for God needs to supersede every other love that you have. Because there may come a time you're going to have to make a choice. Am I going to stay with Jesus Christ or am I going to follow my children or my mother or my father or my employer or my country? Whatever it might be. And you're going to have to take up your cross to follow him. It may be, and it has happened in church history, that children turn in parents to the authorities to have them tortured. God forbid that should ever happen. But if that does happen, you've got to make a choice, right? There's got to be a number one loyalty. Now, the fact is, if you have that number one loyalty, you're going to enjoy all those other relationships all the more. You know how to love because God first loves us. So, so again, he's using this as a point of comparison here. James 2.5 says, Listen, my beloved, do not, did God not choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? So there's a relational quality here. And this is one of the big differences with Christianity. This is not some idol we're bowing down to. This is our father. Even to where we can cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, Father, for those who, 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 who know him. And if you're a Christian, you understand that. that. That may, I don't think, like when I first became a Christian, I didn't really get that that much. I didn't have the affections and the feelings and everything. Those things kind of came over time as you learn more about, about your father. So this isn't like all of these things don't apply day one, you know, zero hour, you surrender your life to Christ. Some of them do come in time. But you can't just have knowledge. There's actually got to be a loyalty and a service to, and a love for the Lord. The third is, do I hate and forsake sin? Okay, is there, if, if, you, if you are absolutely sinless, would you please raise your hand? <laughs> okay. There ain't a one of us who didn't sin this morning, maybe. And one of the things about being a Christian, being a Christian for a long time, is it's sanctification is sort of like an onion. You, you think you're kind of conquering all these sins. You give up getting drunk. You give up fooling around. You give up whatever it might be. And you think, okay, I really got it. Then you realize, man, I am so full of pride. I am so unloving. I am such a gossip. Then you get rid of those and you think, oh, my goodness, I am, I am a swamp of self-pity. And you get rid of that one. And then another one comes back. Right? You know, you know how it is. 
It's just sort of, this is, this is not this beautiful slope towards heaven, right? And the fact is, we're going to be on our deathbed, still probably struggling with attitude, struggling with our patience, our temper, uh, things we say, things we think, uh, things like that. Because we live in a fallen world. And yet, we hate sin. When you were confessing those sins earlier, didn't you get an emotion? I'm just so sick of coming back every Sunday and having to tell you, I'm sorry about this again. I hate this about me. And yet, it's there. I need to recognize it, right? 1 John 1, 7 through 10. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. You know, a great example. We need to go to school on David all the time for his goodness and his sin. I mean, not like learning how to sin like David, but learning how to repent like David would be a good thing for us to learn. Psalm 32 really shows us David's heart. I mean, he had sinned with Bathsheba. He had been, uh, his sin has been exposed by the prophet Nathan, who could have been killed when he went and confronted the king. But the king was grateful because he hates his sin and he'd been covering it up and trying to hide from it. And he says this in Psalm 30, 32. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. I acknowledged my sins to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Have you ever been in that situation? Don't you love the illustration as in the fever heat of summer? Can we South Carolinians get that? The wedding yesterday was an outside wedding with 95 degree heat at five o'clock in the afternoon. I was wearing my remarkably stylish Geneva gown that I have on today. Okay. And the groomsmen, the, the bridesmaids, praise God, were in the sun, but the groomsmen, I'm mean, wearing the shade, but the groomsmen were in the sun. And which sweat is just pouring off it was the shortest presbyterian wedding in the history of christendom and we told people get up don't pass out you just go get in the shade you're not going to disrupt anything don't worry about it but i mean we, we get fever heat of summer don't we that's what it's like with this burden of sin that you've not gone and taken to the lord that's why we give you an opportunity every sunday to to get rid of that that's a sign that you're a christian they, they, listen, kings got away with murder. They got away with adultery. They could have anything they want. David could have said, I'm king. I'm going to take Bathsheba, kill her husband. I don't care. He, and he would have been just like all the Hittite rulers and the Egyptian rulers and everybody else, you know. But he didn't. He said, I have sinned. I have sinned. Me, who God has given everything to. And when did it happen? When he was at the height of his prosperity. Imagine something like that. When we need God, we're on the fight upwards. We're afraid to sin. But when we get it all and he answers and he's been so gracious to us and gives us everything we need. That's so often when we get blindsided, right? 
Other question, corollary question, really, do I hate, do, do I hate and forsake sin? Do I love righteousness? 1 John 2, 29. If, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. We just want to do the right thing. And when we hear about all the stuff that's going on in the news and all the evil that's out there, we just groan, right? We hate to see all this unrighteousness that's out there. Do I seek to obey God? John 14, 15. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Now, y'all, that is not a complicated text. That is not one of those, well, the Greek word means this. No, it's if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Any moms and dads out there kind of feel like that's a pretty good rule in the house? Right? This is, this is not complicated. A kindergartner can understand this. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And when you fail to keep my commandments, you'll <laughs> repent and you'll work to keep them even more with my help. I mean, I added that second part, obviously. First John 2. By this, we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have not. I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. John's very honest, isn't he? But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has been truly perfected. By this, we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought also himself walk in the same manner as he walks. So Jesus is our example. You know, the whole, remember WWJD, what would Jesus do? Which really came out of a book from the... Uh, 1890s, which was a liberal book. It was like, it was your typical liberal response to Jesus. He's just an example. He's just an example to follow. Well, he, he's not just an example to follow, but he is an example to follow. Okay, we are to walk in his steps. We are to do what Jesus did in a lot of ways. And uh, he's a wonderful example. He's, a perfect, he, he's the perfect demonstration of, of love. And if you do that, you can only do that in the strength of God. That is an evidence that you are, in fact, a Christian. And then we see, of course, do I love others? First uh, John 2, 9 through 11. The one who says he is of the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. And the one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. 1 John 3, by this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. So you got a combination of two of those points there, practicing righteousness and loving the brother. For this is the message which you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. 1 John three fourteen. we know that we've passed out of death into uh, life because we love the brethren. 1 John 4, 7, beloved, let us love one another for the love of uh, is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Right? I mean, and, and I, I left verses out. <laughs> a couple of things I want you to note here. Notice, especially the emphasis in First John. How do you know if you're a Christian? How do you know if you're a Christian? Let me give you the doctrinal view of that. What they are saying is it is possible to have assurance of salvation. It is possible to have assurance of salvation. That, that is not presumptive. That is not pride. God would want you to have assurance of salvation if you're saved. He wants you to know that you're saved. He doesn't want you to live in continual fear. He wants you to know you've been adopted. You don't adopt a child and then never tell them that you're actually part, they're part of the family. 
So assurance of salvation, which, is, which has been vilified by some, the Catholic Church pronounces an anathema on anybody who teaches assurance of salvation. So I guess I've been cursed now by teaching this. But you can know for sure. But if you're not practicing this six points and you are a Christian, you're going to have doubts and you're not going to be living a dynamic Christian life. And if you're not practicing these things consistently, you may not be a Christian. And you need to appeal to God. God, save me. I am a sinner. I can't save myself. I claim the blood of Jesus Christ. I, I want to serve you the rest of my life. But notice this, and this is important. This is the reason why I say you might want to tuck this in the back of your Bible. I have had so many conversations with people. I'll ask them, are you, are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, I, I said a prayer when I was 12. Well, you're 42 right now. How's that going for you? Well, I hadn't been to church since then. <laughs> Let me tell you, it didn't, it didn't stick. <laughs> it didn't stick. Oh, yeah, uh, oh, yeah, uh, I came up, was raised in a Christian family. Oh, I was baptized as a baby. I've heard them all. I've literally heard, oh, yeah, my uncle was a Methodist minister. No. Yeah. Well, well, then you're in. <laughs> you know? I don't mean to be cynical, but people, people will grab onto these straws and ignore the treasure chest of gold that's before them. They'll put their faith in nothing, in vapors, instead of in the person of Jesus Christ. But, no, but part of the point here too is this. Is that these are changes of heart. Like one, one uh, commentator said. A, tr a true spiritual inventory does not focus on external behavior or religious activities. But on the internal attitudes of the heart. So that's one reason why only you can really kind of answer this question. You could ask us and we could say. Yeah I think like you act like a Christian. Or no you don't act like a Christian. But only you really can answer these questions. Briefly, we see the second part here. Is Paul a, a Christian? He asks the question, but I trust that you will realize that we do ourselves, do, we ourselves do not fail the, the, the test. He's actually being very clever here because he's basically saying, okay, let me ask you a question. Are you a Christian? Well, yeah, of course we're a Christian. Okay, am I a Christian? And then they're going to think, well, now hold it, wait a minute now. We're Christians because of him. <laughs> we're Christians because he came and gave us the gospel. If we say he's not a Christian, then we have to say we're not Christians. So if we're Christians, then he must be a Christian. It's very clever. Paul's kind of summing up his arguments against these false teachers by putting this, uh, this truth to them. So if he's a real Christian and they're real Christians, then everybody is a Christian. And then they need to obey the gospel and quit fooling around and being so selfish and immoral and listening to these false teachers. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 1, you know, uh, I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. So the question is still for all of us. Am I a Christian? You know, uh, does, the, does the Spirit of Christ really dwell in me? And I love how Apostle Paul puts that in Romans chapter 8, 16. He says here, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. A real Christian knows because the Holy Spirit testifies to the human spirit that we're children of God. What I want to do is, is I want to close in prayer and then maybe let's give a, a, a couple of minutes for for people just to pray silently about this matter to ask this question to themselves and if you're not a christian you pray to become one and if you are you pray that it would be more evident uh, uh in, in your life and that you would love the lord all the more 
and that you'd be zealous for introducing this concept to other people. There's so many people who are deluded who think because they're Southern, they're Christian. And I'm not making that up, am I? (laughs) So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I do pray that you would bless us now and uh, teach us this truth. Help us to... Help, help us to live a life in such a way that no one would ever, 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 ever question whether you're a Christian. And for those who are here today or those who are listening on the Internet who don't know you, I pray, God, that you would fill them with the Holy Spirit now. And instead of running from God, they would run to you and they would cry out for mercy, as did David. And that you would save them and that they would get involved with a good Bible-believing church. I pray, Lord, now that you would hear our, our, the saints' prayers as we come to you and just pray to apply this text to our hearts and whatever our situation might be. Father, hear these prayers now, and I pray, Lord God, that you would just help us to be on, uh, on a road towards walking in the path of Jesus Christ. Lord, I think of all these characteristics, the one that we probably all fail in is this, this principle of loving one another. Uh, we, we just get so distracted. We get so into our own little world. We tend to isolate ourselves, even as the, the older we get or the busier we get, Lord. And we're just reminded, God, that um, the, the opposite of of, of uh, Love is not hatred, it's just apathy. We just don't care. But Lord, we want to be a church that cares, that loves, that shows that love to others by being involved with other people's lives. So I pray for that and for all these other qualities, Lord, that it would be obvious that we could answer that question, am I Christian, as we test ourselves, as we examine ourselves with a resounding yes and amen by the grace of God. In Christ's name, amen.